WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 149, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 9 of The Flight of the Noldor, being the 149th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I'm reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. And this is our first two-parter episode of The Silmarillion. That's right, there was just too much drama in Chapter 9 to make it one episode. So last week we kind of dove into Melkor, now known as Morgoth, and Ungoliant, and saw what they did in the aftermath of the darkening of Valinor. And this week, we will go into the dramatics of Feanor because as dramatic as he's been so far, but wait, there's more. Moving back to the Feanor side of the of the story. Um, so yeah, Morgoth is uh, kind of building himself up and he is in Angband and he is growing more of those orcs and and balrogs he's made the crown i love this it says his hatred devoured him um so so that's that's where morgoth is and then back to valinor where where feanor starts some things so um he's of course very angry um and grieving too so he kind of bursts into Tyrion, uh, on reminder, the 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 hill, the mountain, mm-hmm. or whatever where they live is called Tuna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he bursts into the city and kind of makes a speech, and he kind of is the he's like stepping up as the next leader, as if you know naturally it's assumed you know Finway is killed now. His eldest son is stepping up as the next king, um, but also he was exiled. So like, what do we do about that? And not everyone likes Feanor, so that's kind of you know iffy politics going on in the background, you know, underlying there of like who is their rightful leader now. Mm. Um, I remember one of, one of the one of the lies that Morgoth that the Melkor told in in Valinor was mm, was yeah. that Fingolfin wanted to take over, you know, yeah. um, and so Feanor is naturally fearful of that because he's already had that thought been kind of placed into him. placed into yeah. his head. Yeah, it's so it's yeah it's um, if if Fingolfin does too much to try to oppose him, then he's making Melkor's lies true. Um, but then if Feanor grabs power, then he's also he's also in the wrong and that's of course what he does um yeah it's, yeah it's naturally assumed that as the oldest son that he will inherit the kingship um and fingolfin doesn't doesn't oppose him really um but it's yeah we should go on with the story because it's interesting what happens yeah, yeah. so so feanor gets up and gives this big speech about what they should do in the valar and everything and it says fierce and fell were his words and filled with anger and pride and hearing them the noldor were stirred to madness so um I'm just that that just seems so reminiscent of a lot of world leaders, um, whether they are bad or good. Um, a lot of world leaders have that same uh, quality about them whenever they get up and are, you know, public doing public speaking or giving speeches of having this very like powerful, emphatic, um, charismatic 
uh, quality about them that kind of enamor crowds and move them and stir them to action again, whether that is, you know, to a negative or a positive outcome. Um, but a lot of those, you know, leaders and everything are two sides of the same coin when it when it comes to this of like being able to stir people to to do something. There was um so on my Silmar Villian series on my channel, I one thing that I do do is when I include excerpts, I often when there's dialogue, I I will invite people to come on and do voice acting of the dialogue and portray certain characters. Um, so there was what there was somebody that actually sent me an email, and I haven't actually used him on anything so far, but. Um, he sent me an email of uh, a video that he had made himself where he's doing the speech of Feanor in the style of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> so, wow. So like a, I mean... But it, it works. It kind of works. Like, it's weird, but it yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, is that I didn't want to bring him up, mm. but he is who I was thinking of. No, I know you Because that is how he came to powers. He had that very mm. charismatic, emphatic power of speech within him that when he spoke, he was a very good public speaker. And that is how he got people a lot. I mean, same with the Noldor were stirred to madness mm. is kind of is is very similar to what happened there. And of course, I don't want to I don't mean to at all downplay any of the atrocities that uh, Hitler committed and caused and led by comparing it to, you know, a work of fiction. But um, just that that quality that is described here, Feanor having over the crowd and speaking to the crowd is very realistic to a lot of um, other political leaders. No, it is. It's very human. What happens here? It's it's political. You're right to bring politics into it. I think as a as a concept, at least, um, mm. and to think about history here because it is it is very human. What's happening with the altar? Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So he says the Valar brought us here for their own um, selfish reasons. They mean to hold us back from you know achieving more and being great and and remember where we were living wasn't that great let's go back there so um they're all kind of they're like okay yeah that sounds pretty good so they believe him and again it says for he echoed the lies of melkor again Mm -hmm. just this idea that like he doesn't even i guess he doesn't even realize or you know remember what melkor told him or realize what he is doing that he is perpetuating everything that melkor told him about um yeah what? why the valar brought them and and everything but one important it's coming true one important detail here as well is that he also tells them about men so the the narrator yes, yeah. the narrator tells us that um that the valar had cozened them meaning the noldor um, and would hold them captive so that men might rule in Middle-earth. Many of the Eldar heard then for the first time of the aftercomers, the aftercomers being the secondborn, the men. Yeah. Um, so they, they didn't know about that, but um, Feanor had learned that from, from Melkor. Melkor had revealed that knowledge to him. Um, and so, again, there's, there's a detail there. And it's, again, it's very political in a way, because it's what, it's what dangerous people do in our own history, is that they... Uh, demonize the other and use that for their advantage Um, yeah and it's that fear of the unknown that actually probably enables Feanor to to enrapture and enrage the the Noldor and and to inspire them to to rebel in the way that they do absolutely yeah they start kind of you know 
banding together. And then it goes into like a whole paragraph of going in and being like, okay, and these sons, Maedros, Maglor, and Kelagorm, Corfin, and Caranthir, and Emrod, and Emros, were all on this person's side. Mm-hmm. And then Fingolfin and Turgun who is Fingolfin's son, I think, were against Feanor, but they also don't want to be against. And so anyway, That's right, yeah. it's a whole paragraph of going into a lot of the different, you know, like sons and cousins. Yeah, it's... Um, Galadriel's mentioned here and being like, so they're on the side, they're on the side of leaving, but they also don't want to go against their kin and start anymore. But then these, like this son was good friends with this cousin and mm. he doesn't want to go again and so i was just getting so confused so yeah it's a little bit of a word salad of names at this point when yes. you don't know who any of these people are yet yes um and um long long story short i just came to the conclusion that it's it's he he's explaining that among um finway's three sons mm. there is a lot of strife and split between them because feanor is obviously very gung-ho about leaving um Fingolfin is he he is more hesitant and is more like maybe let's calm down let's think about this let's you know let like let, let's process some things first we don't need to jump to action immediately mm-hmm. and of course a lot of the Noldor are more suited to following Fingolfin versus following Feanor um and then there is um Finarfin, the third son, who is even more hesitant to leave. But again, he doesn't want to go against his brothers and cause more. So there's just a lot of conflicting feelings among the brothers and their families. uh, Focusing on on those three, that's, that's, yeah, focusing on those three, that's that's right. Uh, They they are, between the three of them, Fingolfin is the middle child. And he's very much in the middle because he, he... I think, I think personally, I think he does want to go back to to, Umar, uh, to Middle Earth. Excuse me. Um, I, I think he does want to go, but yeah, he, or he maybe wants to not go for in this reasons. way. And and the the narrator, the narrator gets this sense across of that all of the grandchildren all have their own agendas too, and they have different ideas about why they want to go back. But but not all of them are you know obsessed with the Silmarils in the same way that Feanor is. Feanor's sons all leap to his side and swear this oath together, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But but the yeah, Fingolfin's sons have different ideas. So Fingon is his eldest son and he we will learn a bit more about him later on. Uh, he's good friends with Maedhros who is Feanor's oldest son. So if, uh, Maedhros is going to be important later on. It's it's Maedhros, by, by the way, as well. It's the, You don't pronounce the D like a D. It's a T-H. Yeah, I um, always struggle with that one. So <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an odd name. But um, in Cinder, in, a D-H is always like a short T-H. Anyway, Maedhros is the eldest son of the sons of Feanor. And we'll get a story about them in an upcoming chapter, those two. So okay. put, a, put a pin in that one for now, because uh, but that friendship will be important. And then Turgon, we're told about, is um, Fingolfin's other son, who is much less, much more resistant to the idea of going back. Um, we're told that Fingolfin and Turgon both speak against Feanor. Um, and Turgon, we, we see in his uh, his story arc, he looks back a lot. He he misses Tyrion when when they do leave. We're told that he kind of um, he looks back in nostalgia and longing to the West. You know, he 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 kind of regrets his decisions. I think, um, and then his story arc progresses and goes in a different direction again. But um, 
but yeah, we're also told about Finarfin, and Finarfin is the one who's really very peaceful and doesn't actually want to leave at all. Yeah, um, and he's just kind of going along with the whole thing just to keep the peace. <laughs> but it, but as we'll see, he's he's going to turn back. Yeah. Um, and and so the, his important children, his most important children, are Galadriel and Finrod. Um, Finrod's going to be particularly important in the rest of the story. Yes. But. Yeah. After a while, Feanor wins out. Um, essentially, and the majority of the Noldor agree to leave, and they all group together and start heading out. Um, meanwhile, the Valar are kind of watching, they're aware of what's happening, but they're not interfering. And it specifically says, yeah, Manway was silent, um, and it says they did not yet believe that Feanor could hold the host of the Noldor to his will. So I kind of think that's funny of like, mm. at first, the Valar and Manway are watching and they're like, yeah, I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> like, I yeah, like I don't is... think this is going to stick. Like, this won't last long. No, uh, it's... <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, they're really short-sighted, but then in a way you think to yourself, this has never happened before. This is unprecedented. So they, well, how would they know? Yeah. Um, they don't, they don't know any better because yeah. they just, they, they, this is, this is the first time this has ever happened. And, and actually this whole story is a, it's an origin of the cosmos story. It's, it's a cosmo, it's a cosmogony. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a creation myth. And so the, the Valar are kind of, they're surprised by it this turn of events because because it's just never happened before um they don't understand the concept of evil and they don't understand the the influence of evil on the elves yeah they're very naive and and believe that their world is perfect so of course why would people want to leave and so the fact that this is all happening before their eyes they're just kind of like well it's not gonna happen or it's not gonna play out because to, to put it in like a biblical context it's like a fall it's like a fall of yeah ma- it's like the fall of man but for the elves oh yeah in a sense for sure definitely meanwhile they the Noldor start heading out um i guess down to the the coast um keep in mind at this point feanor hasn't necessarily come up with a plan and hasn't really shared this with anyone so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind um, and it mentions that Fingal, that um, there's kind of two groups of people. One group is following Feanor and one group is following Fingolfin. Fingolfin is mostly going at the uh, urging of his son, Fingon, um, and also because he doesn't want to be separated. He doesn't want there to be a rift between um, all of his people and between himself and Feanor. So he just goes and also to kind of keep an eye on things. Um, He's not Mm. really sure what Feanor is going to do. And he says um, he doesn't want to leave them, leave his people to the rash counsels of Feanor. So he's going kind of to be the, the friendly, the other friendly leader for his people to look to during this time. So as they're traveling, um, a messenger from Manwe comes and says... Um, Sorry, can I, can I yes. just skip back a, a minute? Because we didn't really talk too much about the Oath of Feanor, which is really, really important. Okay, um, yeah. Um, so I mentioned it, but it, but in that section where the, the names of the sons of Feanor are listed and so on, we're told about the Oath of Feanor. I, I think I should probably just read it, actually. Yeah, it sure. might be the best way. Then Feanor swore a terrible oath. His seven sons leapt straightway to his side and took the selfsame vow together and red as blood shone their drawn swords in the glare of the torches. 
They swore an oath which none shall break, and none should take, by the name even of Iluvatar, calling the everlasting dark upon them if they kept it not, and Manway they named in witness, and Varda, and the hallowed mountain of Taniquitil, vowing to pursue with vengeance and hatred to the ends of the world, valour, demon, elf, or man as yet unborn, or any creature, great or small, good or evil, that time should bring forth unto the end of days, whoso should hold or take or keep a Silmaril from their possession. Um, so that's, that's a really important thing to understand, because that oath is binding. Um, if, you, if one makes an oath in Middle-earth, it, it has a way of coming back and biting you in the arse. You know, mm. um, think about the oath breakers in The Lord of the Rings here. Um, Isildur cursed the, the men of the mountain to because they refused to, to help to take up arms against Sauron in the War of the Last Alliance. And, you know, we see that in the movies as well. Um, and so that, that oath is binding. They made an oath to, to fight for him and, and he cursed them to, to linger there. And this is the same sort of thing happening here with the Sons of Feanor as that. So this is what's going to drive them for the rest of the story. Um, so it's, it's important to understand. Um, and it's also going to come up in the in the conclusion to this chapter when we talk about Mandos, which is going to be cool. Um, yeah. So so yeah, it's it's it binds them. They they are bound to their oath. Um, you know, it, magically, if you want to put it that way. It, um, it's it, there are consequences to breaking it, um, and and we'll see that as the story mm -hmm. continues. But but yeah, sorry, I just no no that was that. important to jump back to. Yeah, thank you for for bringing that up, and also I love that it says um, they swore an oath which none shall break and none should take. So I just love that of like mm, yeah they shouldn't even be doing this, <laughs> but yeah, they I, are. I love I love the wording of that as well. Yeah, and I lo I love the fact that they they name Manway and Varda and. Iluvatar in witness of this oath as well. Mm. Um, uh, and, and the phrase, calling the everlasting dark upon them if they kept it or not, which uh, everlasting dark is also capitalized, which is just like, why? But yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> it's extra but, um, important, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I suppose it's like a theological concept that they're emphasizing um, and if they kept it or not. So it's like they're saying that they're dooming themselves whether they keep this oath or not. Yeah. Because, because they can't keep the oath, actually. It's impossible to keep the oath. <laughs> they're damning themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to see how they're going to suffer for it for the rest of their lives. Um, it's awfully sad what happens to the sons of Feanor. Because you're going to see some of them are going to be really, really bad. And oh. some of them are gonna. Some of them are gonna be just kind of. They made some bad mistakes in their youth, and now they're paying for it. Um, so they, they're not all. They're not all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yes, a messenger comes from Manwe and says, "Go not forth, for the hour is evil, and your road leads to sorrow that ye do not foresee. No aid will the Valar lend you in this quest, but neither will they hinder you." So they are being officially told, essentially, you know, up until this point, the Valar are kind of like, eh, this isn't going to happen, whatever. And then they start leaving. They're like, oh, no, maybe we should actually step in here and say something. Um, so they're saying we can see what is going to happen if you leave and it is not good. So we strongly encourage you to stay, but we're not going to force you. We're not going to stop you from going 
but we're also not going to help you. This is why I say it's like a it's like a fall of man story because that's free will, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right? Feanor doesn't even speak to. He doesn't even say anything at first to the messenger. He just turns to his people and is saying. Um, and, you know, just encourages them to that that they are making the right choice. And then he turns to the messenger and says, tell Manway this. If Feanor cannot overthrow Morgoth, at least he delays not to assail him and sits not idle in grief. And it may be that Eru has set in me a fire greater than thou knowest. So Feanor is saying... At least I'm doing something about Melkor rather than sitting up in my throne and, you know, being and and sulking over mm. this loss that we have all suffered. At least I'm doing something. And also just like the, again, the... Um, just like the ad- audacity of Feanor to think that like he is going to defeat... Melkor and like he is going to defeat Morgoth and he'll he'll prevail over this evil where Manwe is just sitting doing nothing and I, I think he he's at this point he's happy to die in the attempt as well yeah. he would rather he would rather die in the attempt than then do sit nothing. and do nothing exactly they kind of brush that message off and continue on this is where they really are like oh oh we don't know how to leave. <laughs> We don't know how to get over there. Um, so let's think about this. Um, they're pretty sure that they're not going to... It's going to be a really long journey to go north to that that ice mass that is l- solid land that where they could just walk across to Middle Earth. They're pretty sure that that's not going to be the way to go because it's going to be a long journey to get there. And of course, the journey itself across to Middle Earth is going to be very formidable. And so they don't want to um, put their people through that. So then the next option is getting boats of some kind, some way to pass um, over the ocean to Middle Earth, which they which they don't have, they've never learned to build yeah. ships. Yeah, the Nord, the Nordor don't have any. Um, I, I I love how this is put. Um, I just want to stop you a second. As the mind of Feanor cooled yes. and took counsel, he perceived over late that all these great companies would never overcome the long leagues to the north, nor cross the seas at the last, save with the aid of ships. This <laughs> this he cooled down a bit and then thought it through, and yes. he was like. Damn it. <laughs> I, hi- I highlighted that sentence too. As the yeah. mind of Feanor cooled, he perceived over late, like, oh, maybe mm. I should have thought this through a little more. So so they go to hit up their friends, the Teleri, and mm. they go to their island. They're like, hey, you want to join us on this fun little journey? Also, um, you can drive us there. Um, and... <laughs> They are very much like, no, we're pretty good here. Even though, even though you know this darkness thing has happened, we're we're pretty happy here. We like the Valar. We don't have any beef with anyone. Like we're we're good. We're happy. Then they're like, okay, so do you think you could let us borrow your boats? And mm-hmm. they say no because um, they're like our boats are to us as your gems and the Silmarils essentially are to you, that these are things that we have worked hard on and put our hearts and souls into creating. And we were given this knowledge and taught this craft, especially by, um, not, um, um, what's his name? Olmo. 
<clears throat> oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Um so no, we're not just going to pass this on to you and you know, and and Feanor also says if it wasn't for us, you would just be in uh he said in huts on the beaches you would still be dwelling had not the Noldor carved out your haven and toiled upon your walls. And so Olway steps in, the the leader of the Teleri, and says, I I don't want to, you know, have a friendship breakup here. We're still buddies. (laughs) We're still friends. I'm not looking to cause any strife between us. But no, absolutely not. We're done here. We're not helping you. You can make your own decisions, but we're not getting involved. Well, he says, it may be the part of a friend to rebuke a friend's folly. So he's saying, I'm being a friend here to you by telling you this is a bad idea. Yeah. And, you know, have you thought this through? <laughs> Clearly he has not. <laughs> no. They have not thought this through. They leave for a minute and Feanor sits and thinks about what to do. So the next logical step, of course, is to just steal their boats. Mm-hmm. And so they go over and try to steal their boats. And then um, just like some, this is where it just really escalated uh, suddenly mm. and quickly. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, oh, this is happening. Yeah. So the Noldor and the Teleri have a full out battle and they are fighting each other. The Teleri, of course, don't have any, they don't have any weapons. No, just slen- slender bows, we're told. Yeah. And they don't, and they are smaller and not as powerful in number. So they are quickly overtaken by the Noldor and a lot of them, and the Noldor too, um, a lot of them are killed and they are killed by each other, by their own kin. And this is happening. I'm really surprised that the none of the Valar came and stepped in and broke they were told up not this to. fighting. They were, they were, you know, they were told they were told to respect the free will of the Noldor and let this happen. Um, oh right, I should say because um, uh, I think Olway at some point in the midst of all this ask. That's right. That's right. They call upon Ose, um, who is a Maiar. They call upon Ose to come and help them, but he can't. He's been ordered to not get involved because if he were to bring up a storm and stop this battle, it would be seen as stopping the Noldor from leaving. Um, so they they can't get involved. No, um, yeah, and they don't. Ose's like wife um, is Uinen, and she has this sort of temper tantrum where she cries and wails I'd probably find the correct quote rather than just being kind yeah, of it says, about um, it but... Weenan wept for the mariners of the Teleri mm-hmm. and the sea rose in wrath against the slayers so that many of the ships were wrecked and those in them drowned mm-hmm. so there's I mean there's that that happens but it's kind of incidental it's not like a deliberate kind of yeah. preventing them from leaving um, but they just sort of a bunch of them die um, yeah so the, the Valor are told uh, and they tell their people to um not to interfere and to, I guess, respect the free will of the Noldor to, to leave of their own volition. Yeah. Um, because I suppose they're <clears throat> wary of, you know, making Melkor's lies true again. Uh, because That's true. Because Me- Melkor's lie is that, that they had been cozened by the Valar and that they had... Cozened means, you know, imprisoned, basically, um, in, in Amman. And um, and that they wouldn't be allowed to leave. And that, that they, their agenda is to leave Middle-earth to the men essentially. Um, and so I suppose the Valar don't want to make that true. Right. Um, uh, I mean, they, they would respect their free will in any event. Um, I suppose they didn't foresee this happening, though, this kinslaying. Um, 
Oh, we, yeah. well, we were told we were told earlier on that Manway didn't think that they would go through with it. He thought that they would turn back before this. Yeah, happened. and they haven't. And <laughs> um, no, they they've gone no. to like this such a violent extent against their own people, against each other. Um, it's just yeah. so sad and tragic to see what Feanor has led. You know, I, I still remember the shock of reading this for the first time as a teenager yeah. and being like, and being like, these are elves. I thought elves were, you know, mystical, like, uh, nice, goodly, wise. Um, I'd never thought that elves did stuff like this, but yeah. <laughs> it turns out. I, I mean, because I was, as I was reading it, I was first shocked that Feanor was just like, well, we'll just steal their boats. And mm. then just even more shocked when it led into this all-out battle. And a lot of them are killed and died. And, um, a rather one-sided battle as well. Yeah. It's a massacre. Uh, also, one thing that's important to re- realize about this as well is that some of the Noldor got there late. So we're told about, I think, yeah. Fingon arrives late. Um, yeah, Fingon arrives says... late. And, and, and so he doesn't realize that the sons of Feanor were the ones, or the Feanorians in general, were the ones that started the battle. Um, so he just thinks that maybe that the... Yeah, they just the, jumped the Teleria, tri- the Teleria tried to prevent them from leaving. That's his assumption. And so he just sort of jumps in um into the battle and, and start fights, fight. yeah yeah which i guess like his... i don't know loyalty for your people is good i guess just blindly jump into action ready to defend your people but yeah they missed that very key context that this was fan yeah it was the host of fingolfin um the people who were following him who came up behind um and maybe had fingolfin been there to, to stop Feanor from, from stealing the boats or stepped in and said, hey, all right, okay, we're good. We'll, we'll back off now. So it says, nonetheless, the greater part of the Noldor escaped. And when the storm was passed, they held on their course, some ship and some by, or some by ship and some by land. Um, so they're traveling. I guess they're traveling in the direction of Middle Earth now. Um, I don't know if they're mm. heading north or south or east or west, but they're they're, they're traveling. They're making their. I way. think that they're, they're they're traveling due east. Okay, you know, they're in the they're in the west in Valinor, and they're, they're, they Travel- arrive. Okay. okay, rough roughly, you know, along the line of longitude. So, so as they are traveling, they hear, it just says some say, oh, they see a dark figure standing high upon a rock. And it just says some say that it was Mandos himself. Um, mm. So it's never really, I guess, confirmed that like, yes, this is Mandos and not a, not a herald uh, or yeah. a messenger, it's, but. It's, an, it's another one of those some says where it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like, it's a myth within a myth. But yeah, they're not sure. Kind of, also kind of, this is what happened probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he. Once again, um, it just says, then uh, all halted and stood still. And from end to end of the hosts of the Noldor, the the voice was heard speaking the curse and prophecy, which is called the prophecy of the North and the doom of the Noldor. And so he shares just once again that, hey, your future is not looking too good right now. Like some bad things are coming down the the road for you. Um, it says the Val- uh, the Valar will fence Valinor against you and shut you out, so that not even the echo of your lamentation shall pass over the mountain. 
on the house of Feanor, the wrath of the Valar lieth. So so he's specifically saying, Feanor, this is your fault. <laughs> like if you <laughs> if you decide to move forward, you know, very Shakespearean, you know, a, a curse, of, mm-hmm. what is it, a, a plague upon your houses, mm-hmm. um, you know. On, on the house of Feanor, the wrath of the Valar shall lie. Also admonishing them for spilling the blood of your kindred unrighteously and have stained the land of Amon. Um, so just giving them a, a harsh talking to, really, you know, of like, <laughs> look what you've done. It, this is your last chance to turn back, you know, make the right choice, turn back, come back. I love how... Manuel was like, we're not going to interfere. We're not going to stop you, but we're also not going to help you. And then here they are kind of, sure, they're not stopping them, but they really, really are making it hard for them to continue to choose to move forward, Mm. you know? (laughs) He's spelling out a lot of what's going to come in the rest of the story here. Um, He, he, so some, some parts of the language of this speech are quite, cryptic actually the t- the, it starts off with the tears unnumbered ye shall shed um which is referring to a battle which hasn't happened yet so there's a battle um later on in the story called the the battle of unnumbered tears um which i think is probably named after this speech but but it's it's kind of cryptic in its language because it's referring to something that hasn't happened yet and this is what mandos does mandos is um the valar who who guards the land of the dead but he's also he predicts the future he's like a a, he's also you called him he's like Hades earlier but he's also he's like um he's like the Norns as well from like uh, Norse mythology or um I can't remember the name of the uh the weavers in Greek mythology um but he 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 also knows the future to an extent uh, to a greater extent than most of the other Valar do um and so he he's when he says all this he's actually he knows a lot of this is going to happen um and it's interesting that the doom of the Noldor is the the word doom is not like it's not like we would use the word doom like mm. this is your this is your doom. It's like it's it's used in the same it's used in a kind of like old fashioned way that word in Tolkien. So it's like doom as in like the etymology of the word is connected to the word deem. So it's like a judgment, but it's also a foretelling. Yeah. So yeah, it's he's kind of he's telling the Noldor what's going to happen. He's not he's judging them and he's cursing them, but he's also saying this is this is the consequences of your actions here, mm-hmm. and this is what I have foreseen. Um, and as I say, it's cryptic in a way. Um, I really, really love the Doom of the Noldor. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole book. Um, he also says the dispossessed, the the house of Feanor shall be the dispossessed forever, um, which is referring to which also hasn't happened yet, but it's also it's referring to the fact that the house of Feanor will be passed over for the high kingship of the Noldor. Um, so watch out for that in a few chapters um, because one of them is going to yeah I don't want to spoil it too much <laughs> but, um, but one of them one of them is going to be passed over for king or he's going to give up the kingship actually um, and then so then the, the the house of Fingolfin becomes the ruling house of the Noldor um, instead which is why the house of Feanor is the dispossessed that's what he's referring yeah. to there yeah um and the, the parts about treason, um, obviously, that's exactly right. We're going to see how treason is going to be the thing, which is going to be the undoing of the Noldor. Um, and not just for the Feanorians as well. We're going to see treason within the house of Fingolfin as well, um, when we get to Gondolin in the book. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of really intense stuff, basically. Yeah. You know, they're yeah, laying down yeah. the law with them and saying, this is how it is. <laughs> Make your, you know, final choice now. Yeah, I, I really like the end of the speech. Those that endure in Middle-earth and come not to Mandos shall grow weary of the world as with a great burden yeah. and shall wane and become as shadows of regret before the younger race that cometh after. The Valar Lost. have spoken. So intense. Just so, like, that's how you end a speech, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have spoken. Yes. Like, this is the end of our word. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not a conversation. This is not a debate. I'm here to tell you this. I've told you this. Now, bye. You know? <laughs> then many quailed. The next yes. paragraph starts with, and you're like, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear That's on okay. this podcast. But <laughs> you're good. Um, yeah. So Feanor, of course, is like, watch me. <laughs> like, let's go. He's not at all concerned. He says, you know, we we are not going to be cowards. We're going to go forward and we are going to do this thing. Um, however, Finarfin, the youngest son of Finway, forsook the march and turned back, being filled with grief and with bitterness against the house of Feanor um, because of his kinship with Olway of Alqua, Alqualon, hmm. Alqualonde. Um, so that, that's that's the location of the the port yes. of the Tellery, the the harbor there where that slaughter yes. just happened, where they stole so, the ships. I love that Fenarfin is the one that's like, no, I'm really not happy with how we left things with our buddy Olway and their mm -hmm. people, and I'm very upset about everything, and um, I'm. The, this is the end uh, of the line for me. I can't do this anymore. And reminder that he was the mm. one of the three to be the. It was like you know moving down the line where Feanor was leading this charge to 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 leave, and then Fingolfin was kind of in the middle. He wanted to leave, but but not in this way, not in this capacity, and wanted to kind of be more rational about it. And then Fenarfin did not want to leave at all, so he turns and goes back. Um, and it also says that his. Um, where is Sorry, it? I want to say I want to highlight one thing in that line as well that you just read. Um, he he says because of his kinship with Olway of Alqualonde, that's yeah. that's literal. He is related to him. So um, Finarfin's wife is Ayarwen, who is Olway's daughter. So he. Oh. So he, okay. he's his father-in-law. Um, so that's that's Galadriel's mother. So Galadriel is also half Teleri, which is going to be important later on when we meet Galadriel in Middle Earth. Um, oh, okay, okay, yeah. It's it's details like that are very easy to miss on first read through. They're not particularly important, but but that's the context for that kinship that he's talking about. Yeah. Um, and it also very sadly says that his sons did not go with him, for they would not forsake the sons of Fingolfin. So that just makes me very sad that Finarfin turned to leave and none of his sons came with him. Um, I'm assuming that some of the Noldor would have also left and turned back with Finarfin. It doesn't mention mm. that he left, but it says that the main host held on and swiftly the evil that was foretold began its work. Um, so... For the yeah, most he, part, he, he didn't go back alone. There are yeah. there are remnants of the Noldor still that in stay. Yeah, still in Amman. We, will actually, we will actually see them later on. So we will see Finarfin again later on. But um, and and he comes he comes to Middle Earth with a bunch of guys. So okay. he, wasn't, he didn't go back alone. But the main host went 
Yeah, the main host and and his family, his sons. That's just so sad to me. And his daughter and and Galadriel as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. They at last reach the north of Arda um, and they see the ice and they see this these treacherous seas and they're not entirely sure about what to do now because they're pretty sure that crossing this icy mass is not going to go well. But at the same time, there um, are not enough boats because it mentioned that some of them were walk- were traveling north by land um, and some of them were on the ship. So they don't have enough ships for everyone to cross the sea to Middle Earth. Um, so they're kind of debating about what to do and they're saying, well, how about some of us go and then we'll come back for the rest of the people and we'll take these in turns. But no one is really into that idea. It says already the fear of treachery was awake among the Noldor. I highlighted the next line that comes immediately after that, but I'll pause there for a second. But yeah, so so they are very much like, I don't know that I trust y'all. To come back for the those of us who are left behind. I don't think I trust you to send a group ahead. And so the fact that it says already the fear of treachery was awake. So they are already losing trust within their own people. I remember that's what Mandos predicted as well. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the treason and the fear of treason. Shall this come to pass? Shall the... And then proving that treachery true. This is where I was shocked <laughs> even more. Therefore, it came into the hearts of Feanor and his sons to seize all the ships and depart suddenly, for they had retained the mastery of the fleet since the Battle of the Haven, and it was manned only by those who had fought there and were bound to Feanor. So, Feanor, you know, I can see it now. They're all camping out on the shore at night and and Feanor and his sons and and any of his other close buddies grab mm-hmm. the ships and leave and take off and leave everyone else behind that is cold <laughs> and it and it gets colder yet oh my gosh so again i was shocked when i read that and then they reached the other shore some of them are like okay so i guess we should um turn back uh yeah it says madros Ma- madros I, I'm never going to get that pronunciation right. So it's okay. Just it know that matter. everyone know that I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Medros um, uh, brings up and he's the friend of Fingon. Um, wait, friend of Air. Okay, never mind. And says, okay, so I guess we should turn back and, and go get everyone else. And Feanor laughs and is saying, no, no one's going to go back. What I have left behind, I count now no loss. Needless baggage on the road it has proved. So cold. So at first I was like, wow, (laughs) they're not, they're going to leave them. And then he orders everyone to burn the ships. So there's not even going to be like Medros and Fingon getting into a boat and sneak and being like, well, if you're, you know, we don't have to listen to you. We can still go back and get these people because they... I guess are wondering because it does say then Medros stood aside. Yeah, I told you earlier that like this this is the oldest son of of um, of Feanor, mm-hmm. Mithros. Um, some some of them are better than others, and Mithros is one of the the better ones. So he yeah. he does stand aside and he doesn't he doesn't want to take part in the burning of the ships. But he also because he doesn't want to doesn't want to strand his friends from Fingolfin's family. You know, we're told that he's friends with Fingon. 
he doesn't want to strand them there. Um, doesn't want to betray them like that. So um, he has the the moral fortitude to not take part in that, but he also doesn't do anything doesn't to stop, stop it. it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, um, and it says, Fingolfin and his people saw the light afar off, red beneath the clouds, and they knew that they were betrayed. Um, first of all, I love how it's mm. it's they didn't it doesn't say they knew they were betrayed when the ships were taken and they left right. <laughs> it was when they saw like this fire off in the distance is when it says they knew they were betrayed anyway um it says this was the first fruits of the kin slaying and the doom of the noldor so yeah that's just so rough this is when i was really um Listeners, you you guys all know that a couple chapters ago I had on um, Bayana and Delia from Black Girls Create, and we all have our opinions about Feanor, and I had to message them and and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what Feanor's done. You know, just some people in the Tolkien fandom really love him, like really love yeah, him. Yeah, I've been seeing awesome. that. Um, <laughs> I've been making, you know, I made like a funny TikTok, even before I read this chapter, I made a TikTok about um, Feanor thinking like, I like, I didn't do anything like this isn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and that was before I even read this chapter. Um, and and people were and someone commented like, yeah, you're right. Feanor did absolutely nothing wrong. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I can I can understand how at some points maybe the motivation of like wanting um, to, I guess, I don't know, seek revenge or something for his father or or wanting what's best for his people. Maybe. But like, this is all like Feanor, man. Like yeah, I they, thought it was bad when he had been exiled for for twelve <laughs> years or whatever. Man, they got off lightly for that as well. I mean, if yeah. they'd have, if they'd have, that was a slap on the wrist. If they'd have come down on him harder, you'd have to think that maybe none of this would have happened. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe not. But there's so like there's um, so many points where you could be like, well, maybe if this had happened, hmm. then this would it wouldn't have led to this. Like there's so I feel like there are so many points that could have been intervened at to prevent some of this from happening but, mm -hmm. but at this point at this did, point no you know? nobody's even saying to Faye and or like you, you lunatic you bloody lunatic what are you doing <laughs> um, yeah they're all on his side still yeah i mean Mydros, i think sees it i think maybe he's having the first seeds of doubt here because mm -hmm. he stands aside and doesn't take part in the burning but he's already sworn that oath and he's already he's already stepped foot on middle earth he's already rebelled against the, the valor so things have gone too far already um you know we're told that feanor laughed as one fey which um is one of tolkien's favorite words that he uses quite a lot which means it has a quite a specific meaning the the fey word f-e-y um it means kind of crazy and hysterical with the foreknowledge of death so it, it, it he's he's in he's he knows that he's going to his doom like he he knows that he's he knows that he's going forward into battle and he probably is not gonna see um too many more days because he's going to war against Morgoth. Um, oh yeah, I should I and, should mention so, um, it. I can't I can't remember where at some point it mentions that um, Feanor is kind of leading this cause as if he is follow like he is tracking down Morgoth, and I'm like, 
bro, what do you think is going to happen when <laughs> you find him and like you're knocking on his door and it's like you and your sons and like you're leading your people to, you know, their death essentially if you're going after Morgoth and like clearly he is just he's gone off the deep end, you know? Mhm. So he, said, he says, let the ships burn. And remember, the ships are to the Tellery as to the gems of the Noldor. So they're, yeah. they're, they're prized possessions. They're, they hold them as dearly as Feanor does the Silmarils. The gem- and, yeah. and he just doesn't, doesn't care. Doesn't <laughs> care. All. It's awful, yeah. And these are also like the last of the ships that, because a lot of the other ships were destroyed in that battle too. Um, mm. So these are the only. It's not like oh, we only took the amount of ships that we needed. Like th- this is it. They're gonna have to start all over, I guess. You know, and a lot of yeah, them well are they, dead. Well, they say we'll we'll never build their like again. That's what always says. So yeah. he, that it's exactly the same as the Silmarils because the yeah. Silmarils can only be made once, and so can these ships. <sighs> Feanor, man. Okay, so let, let's jump back to the other side, back on the the coast of Valinor in the north, um, mm. and Fingolfin is watching the the fire, the the smoke in 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 the distance, and they know that. Feanor has betrayed them and they are not coming back. Yeah, just one point about this, actually. He sees the red light in the distance. Um, remember that at this point in history, the Earth is flat as well. So that's why he can see that. It's a long way away. Oh, but, but... I was wondering because it mentions a lot of how big this sea is. So I was like, mm. how do they even, how are they even able to see it? Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um so yes, they are like ah, now what? Like we can't turn but we're already past the we're past the point of no return. Um so we can't go back home. Actually, I'm sure that if they had were like turned back, the the Valar would have been like, "I'm glad you came back," you know. I'm sure mm-hmm they wouldn't have been like no you're not allowed in anymore um i'm sure you as came well. back of yeah. your own deci- you know you you made your own choice to come back you know welcome but they are like we've already made it this far we have to keep going somehow so they are left with no choice but to cross the uh, hel- uh the the helicaraxe yeah that yeah. thing yeah. um the grinding ice yes and it's very hard of course like they were all predicting they're like yeah we made the like right choice to not do this because this is awful but we're we're left with no choice we have to do this um it's as few of the deeds of the Noldor thereafter surpa- surpassed that desperate crossing in hardihood or woe. Um, and it says Turgon's wife, who I didn't even know mm-hmm. he had a wife, <laughs> but she dies. <laughs> no, she's not been mentioned. Um, yeah, the, that's so, that makes me so sad. <laughs> like the first mention of his wife is when she is being killed. <laughs> I, at least I don't, don't think she's mentioned before this. She's, yeah. Obviously she's not an important She says Ellen Way, the wife of Turgon, was lost. Mm. So, and many yeah. others also perished. She's interesting fact about her. She's one of the Vanyar. So she was the only one of the Vanyar who went with the Noldor. Uh, um, so that's one of the other three tribes of elves. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. She's dead now. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's dead now. Um, and it's a small love for Feanor, for Feanor, <laughs> small love for Feanor and, or his sons had those that marched at last behind him. And blew their trumpets in Middle Earth at the first rising of the moon. 
and that's how the chapter ends is they they make it to the other side but they're worser for the wear a lot of them have died yeah, a lot um, of them have died. And um, needless to say, they are not happy with Feanor no. or his sons. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, they will. Obviously, the two hosts will kind of um, meet up again in Middle-earth, um, and we'll see that, and we'll see what happens. But you've got to imagine at this point, Fingolfin has got to be, like, hopping mad. Like, he's the calm one, but <laughs> you've got to imagine he's pretty he's pretty angry at this point. Um, it, yeah. I, I don't want to spoil what happens. I don't know how much to say about yeah. it. <laughs> I think needless to say, a lot of drama is is going to continue to go down. Yeah, what a family. <laughs> what a yeah. family. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I don't know about you. It makes me have a better appreciation for my family. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it makes me relate to elves in ways that I never would have from The Lord <laughs> of the Rings, actually. Uh. <laughs> it is. I will say it is kind of like coming from Lord of the Rings where you look at the elves as like, oh, these like high beings, these beautiful creatures Mm -hmm. who are elegant and poised and wise. It Mm -hmm. does kind of at least like humanize them in some capacity of like, oh, good. They're not like they did have a lot of drama. It it also makes you it makes you think about the sorrow that they seem to have in the Lord of the Rings. They seem to have this kind of um, because they are happy, but they're also they're everything all at once. The elves and um, Tolkien tells us in his essays and notes and stuff that the elves actually had perfect recall. So they had like this photographic memory where they remembered everything, their entire lives yeah. perfectly. And, um, and, and you so know, this, of course, this... given how long they live, the descendants of, you know, Feanor and these sons and Fingolfin and, and mm. these Noldor are like, obviously, when you look at it in terms of years, it's years and years later. But when you, when you're, I, I don't remember the exact, you know, like, uh, family tree and everything but like uh, Mm. you get to Elrond and there's only you know a few generations separating him from what happened here even though it was right so Uh, so many years ago Elrond is Turgon's uh yeah exactly yeah so when you put it like that of like they're not that distanced from all of this that you know Elrond could theoretically sit at the feet of his grandfather or great-grandfather whoever you know and get a first-hand account of what happened you know so Mm. anyway all very intense stuff a very intense (sighs) chapter like I said I would I just continued to be shocked at what was going on it really kept escalating in terms of like what Feanor was doing and what he was capable of leading others to do it's an epic chapter the Silmarillion like it has different narrative modes that it goes through and it goes through these sort of cycles and a lot of the chapters up until this point have been the narrative has been like a million miles in the air and we're like looking down on history and looking at these like civilizations almost right and this is the point at which the drama starts happening and it starts you know, well, it, it starts happening in chapter seven, um, and some of the roots for that start coming through there. But then chapter eight, obviously, we get the account of the trees being killed by Angolian and all that. But this chapter is when we really start yeah. getting the characters that we're going to be living with for the next uh, the next several chapters, the next fifteen chapters. Yeah, it's um, really kicking off now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, some some of the groundwork for the tragedy of the rest of the age has been laid here. Um, this is why I emphasize the oath of Feanor because that's really key because it's, um, they, they've doomed themselves by making that oath because they have to attempt to fulfill the oath 
um, which is is kind of a hopeless cause because they can't win. Um, but the the consequences for that would be for them to be to to be damned and to to linger in Middle Earth forever. And um, basically, we don't know exactly how they would have ended up if they hadn't have attempted to fulfil their oath. But I. I put it in the same context as the dead men have done Harrow and what happened to them. Um, and so they make that oath in just defiance of the, the Valar and um, Feanor persuades them to, to do it. Later on, Feanor is going to double down on that. He's going to convince them to like recommit to that oath as well. Um, and yeah, it's, and Mandos warns them that this is going to lead them to a self-destructive path and, and to generations of misery and they go through with it anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> and they choose it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then everybody else gets swept along with it as as part of the course of events. And it's it's a sad story. that The, the Silmarillion is going to involve a lot of, of bloodshed and, and sadness um, for the rest of the story, the Quenta Silmarillion. Cool, looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it does it does really like put the whole world into context that you understand things better. And um, it really does kind of bring the elves from the the Lord of the Rings to life again um, in, a, in a different way. <laughs> yeah, cool. Man, it's all a lot. It's a lot of stuff to take in. Well, um, thank you so much for, for joining me for this very intense, hefty chapter. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, it's no problem. It's been a pleasure. Um, so my YouTube channel is the main place to find me, uh, Voice of Geekdom on YouTube. Um, and on, also on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, I don't post a whole lot on the latter on Instagram, but um, I am active on Twitter and Facebook to an extent. So um, find me on those on those uh, platforms. But but the main place is the, is the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, and I listeners, do. of course, remember uh, uh, there are lots of like visual and uh, other elements that Dan mm. does to go along with the Silmarillion. So if you are interested in diving more into that and adding other aspects mm-hmm. to help you take in this story and remember aspects of it as well, definitely look into all of that and that'll be linked in the episode description. I also, I, t- I tried to talk about like the drafting history of the Silmarillion to an extent as well. Um, Cause I think a lot of people when they flow into the Silmarillion for the first time, don't necessarily appreciate the fact that this has been published posthumously from mm. a series of drafts. And, and that Christopher Tolkien was um, kind of, it sounds flippant to say, but like cobbling together this story based on yeah. different versions of the story that his father no, wrote it's, over the it's course of really his life. Incredible um, the work that Christopher Tolkien continued to do um, mm. after his father's death and up until his own death um, a couple of years ago, I think that was. Um, right. Yeah, definitely. Th- yeah, thank you for yeah diving into that and telling people the the details of you know this huge labor of love essentially that he did. Yeah, yeah, and also I mean. It, 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 I tried to emphasize the language as well, because uh, this story came into being because Tolkien wanted to create a history for his languages in order to justify some of the, the kind of changes that the languages go through, because he didn't just create Elvish as it was ready to go out of the box. It was it was also an organic process and the mythology affected the language and the language affected the mythology. So it was, that was how the the mythology came to being it was because he wanted to give it some context to to breathe some life into his language to give it this illusion of historicity as he called it um so yeah i, I tried to talk about some of that stuff um I, I i tend to um you know get names wrong sometimes as well we were joking around about my earlier um i you know some of my early videos i was also 
I'd never said any of the names aloud, like, because I'd never had, like, Tolkien friends to talk to about this (laughs) stuff. Because I'm not an academic, I'm just a lifelong fan, and, you know, I just... My dad read it to me and then I, I exceeded, quickly exceeded his knowledge of Tolkien and then I had no one to talk to about it for years um, until now. And now, now, now you have, have a lot of people now to I have talk a lot, to about a it. a lot of friends to talk to about it and it's, um, it's been, become a big part of my life. But um, yeah, I sometimes get slack, I get some slack from some of my uh, viewers for mispronouncing things as well. So um, <laughs> I feel like that's like the abs- that's sh- like... <sighs> People who, if you are coming after someone for like the tiniest details of that, like mm-hmm. go go get a life, you know. Like there's more important things to do than argue about, you know, a pronunciation or something. If someone is putting their heart into shit, like look <laughs> at the details around the name, you know. If that's like the one mm-hmm. thing you're gonna fix, you're gonna fixate on, then like you're not gonna be like a fun person to to talk to. Like let's talk to the people who are also like. Yeah, that name is hard to pronounce, you know? Like Yeah, there's there's a line. I mean, it's it's interesting to learn about still. Um there's there's a chapter coming up in a few chapters time, which is uh chapter 14, which when I I covered that one, it's I, I just refer to it as the geography chapter because it's just it's a chapter with like oh, no, no 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 story and it's just like a list of places in Oh no. Um <laughs> And so there's like you're going to have a lovely time covering that one because you're going to, you should probably get a linguist on to talk about that chapter with you because that's like Okay, that's that's a good yeah, heads up to have. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to wbne.org where you will find all of our shows like Late to the Party. The cover is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. Every now and then I get an email that someone has bought a t-shirt, so please be sure to tag me or post something on your Instagram story. Let me know what you have gotten. I would love to see what kind of merch you guys are getting. You can follow the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. You can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsApp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. Also, in case you don't know, I'm on TikTok at MCWhatsApp. I've been there now for two years. Thank you, Pandemi. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash talkingaboutpod. There are different tiers available no matter what your budget is. If you would like to share your support, I appreciate it no matter what level you choose. Every patron will get access to a monthly newsletter where I share updates about what to expect over the coming month, if there are announcements, um, and what kind of guests you might expect in the next month or so. Or you can become a sponsor of the podcast like... Mots, Mots, thank you so much for your support of That's What I'm Talking About. I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Well, um, thank you so much again for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, not particularly, um, but I would like to thank you once again for having me. And um, hopefully we can do something on my channel at some point, potentially. Um, I, I do also do podcasty type long long form discussions on my channel as well. so And live streams as well. So potentially we could do something in the future. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I don't know how I... I would be able to intellectually contribute to a conversation <laughs> but i'm open to it so well, we, we, can find, we can find different levels of uh, topics to talk about I mean, okay like... cool <laughs> <laughs> all right cool well um yeah again thanks for coming on and that's what i'm talking about mm-hmm.